What is going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down 119.2, and we're continuing and finishing our read-through of Ready Player Two. Today I have with me Matt. Hello. And yeah, finished it up. Um, yeah, would I that, say that about sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I, what my question is, would I say predictable? Um, I would say that last chapter I did not see coming. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, for the most part. Matt, you said it before we recorded just now that you haven't thought about this book since we finished it. <laughs> yeah, I... I read through it pretty intensely. Like, this isn't a story that I... Read a little of, put it down for three or four days, picked it up again, forgot where I was. Like I went through this straight through, so that it was a nice compact story, and I didn't really have time to forget what was happening. Sure, you know, which which sometimes when a game or book gets overly fragmented for me, you know, it's hard to hard to keep all the threads going. Like I've got some books I've started, and you know, years later I try and pick them back up, and I'm like, well, what was even happening? What's going on here? Um. But that wasn't the case here. But even though everything was nice and tight, like I, it didn't become vibrant enough to like stay in my memory. It's not something that I've continued to think about since we finished it by any means. Yeah, I finished it the day we were going to record last week, and I've thought about it maybe once. Honestly, I thought about it because I was uh, listening to Prince music. Ah. Uh. That would trigger it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I actively search for Prince music because uh, I, I, I'm a fan of Prince. I, I have been a fan of Prince since I was a kid. Um, but uh, yeah, so the last week left off. Um, Actually, I did take it back. I did think about it once because as you saw before this, I was watching The Cable Guy which has yeah. Matthew Broderick in it. And since I had watched Ferris Bueller's day off, I, it did trigger a, a, a momentary memory of the book. There you go. So, um, we got Parzival H and Shoto going to the Afterworld, which is the Prince universe or world or whatever planet. Um, to get the f- fifth shard, right? I think so, fifth, yep. Yeah. Um, and this, I, I will say this about this, this whole section, is that they're obviously running out of time. I think at this point they have like two hours left. Yep. Um, and I like the fact that H knows everything about this. And how to possibly get the 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 shard? So they're basically speed running this, um, and H is like making them go all the way through this. They're doing this cryptic stuff, like why do I got to do this? Just do it. Shut up. Let's go. Come on, do this, do this, do this. And they're trying to speed run to the boss fight, essentially. Yeah. So uh, what they have to do is is take on the seven different versions of Prince throughout the years. Yep. Seven different versions. Yeah. And, um, doing so 
they they believe will get him the shard. Um, the issue is is that Prince is very difficult to fight, so you have to be prepared for the fight. Um, and so they, you know, the, the, the motorcycle from purple rain, they destroy it. I'm like, why did you do that? So that purple rain prince can't ride around on a motorcycle during the boss fight, you know, stuff like that here, get this. We, we go to, we go get the raspberry beret and put it on. That way you can, you can take some extra hits. Um, go get the, this, you know, crazy guitar and use it for, an attack kind of thing. So it's, it's one thing after another, just real quickly go here, go here, go here. We're also going to need to have some, some party members with us to help fight. So they go and recruit Morse day and the time. So Morse day and all of them show up and help with the fight. And I was like, okay, well this is kind of cool. Cause it's like a, it, it's almost like they're doing a speed run. Yeah. Th- this section to me felt a lot more gamey. Like they were yeah. in a game. And I don't, I don't know if that's because of what you're mentioning is exactly the way I felt. I'm like, oh, they're getting all the, the pieces and amulets and protections and weapons and everything that they need to fight the end boss, and then that's what they're going to go do. But to me, I'm like, this felt more like the a game section with that was Prince flavored, rather than the last planet, which felt like you were really diving more into the '80s and the movies. And then they, they'd figure out how to tie it back to the story in the end. This felt a little bit less like they went deep into Prince's catalog. Like it could have almost right. been anybody here. I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, they did they did do tons of like Prince-themed stuff, you know. Like they, they went to, you know, Paisley Park. And, you know, they, 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 and they did like, you know, talk about like, oh, this is the afterworld. And he's like, I could see the sun, you know, both day and night, you know, that's part of a song, that's part of Let's Go Crazy. Yeah. You know, it's it and they, they reference a whole bunch of stuff and I like the theme of it because I did get a lot of the references. Yeah. You know? Um and there's a couple of things that I do want to mention. Like I said before, uh when it comes to Prince, I, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of his music. Um and they mention it. I know I mentioned it to you off air. I said it because you weren't overly familiar with Prince's I would music? say almost completely unfamiliar. Okay. And and I went on a mini binge. I didn't get to binge quite as hard as I did the movies for the last recording, but I did spend a lot of time listening to Prince. And what do you think of Prince's discography? Um, I would say I probably haven't absorbed enough of it to really see him in the same light. That okay. they do, and you do. So okay. I, you know, I, I did like a lot of the songs, but to me, none of them were as catchy as, let's say, Michael Jackson's top twenty songs. Okay. Okay. They they did mention. I told you, if you want to see a really good Prince performance, you go watch the '99 Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, and I need uh, to watch. I, I tried to watch the Purple Rain movie. That never never happened. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's and they they referenced that like the one of the best performances was the Super Bowl halftime show. I was like, hey, I actually referenced that before the book did. Yeah, yeah, good reference. And um, yeah, so I mean, like, like I said, they speed run through this 
this whole area doing tons of prince references um and they have their big boss fight with the seven princes um during that battle unfortunately shoto is defeated um and so everybody's like oh god so what's happened to shoto he's obviously not responding but not waking up um but they're able to 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 beat them and get the next shard uh the next shard is all about middle earth yep and like the hobbit lord of the rings that stuff but it's and they make a reference to it the there's three different worlds for middle earth and the one that they're referencing is the first age of middle earth yeah which takes place like thousands of years before like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and all that stuff that I'm familiar with. So they're naming a whole bunch of stuff that I have no idea what they're talking about. The only thing I understood about this entire world was shadow facts, which is the horse that Gandalf rode. That's all I know. Um, but this was almost like a speed run too. But it was one of those where, like, we don't know. I don't actually know where we're going because Parsville was like, I was going to do all these quests with Artemis, and we broke up, so I never came here because I it was too it was too hard for me. Yeah, which in some ways I liked because you know he can come off a little bit as a know it all prick. Yep, and so you know I kind of like to see him not knowing here and. He's even looking it up. You got a little bit of that last one in the in the Prince World as well, where he's like, "Oh, I think this is the Rainbow Bridge or whatever the bridge was," and they're like, "No, it isn't." Pipe down. Um, and the same thing here, he, where he actually doesn't know uh, Graffiti Bridge is what it was, but yeah. you know, here he doesn't actually know, and he's looking it up while they're writing. It's kind of like that piece where he gets called out for not knowing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have a fight, boss fight with a giant dire wolf that apparently is in, I, I, like, I don't know, like th- this world is all based on like small excerpts from Tolkien. It, it like, I, I don't even know how they even got all this information. Yeah. Most I know of it I think is in the Cimmerillion, right? I think that's I, what they I, said. I, I don't know, I guess. It's funny. Cause I have one friend from where I grew up who absolutely loves Tolkien lore and would know everything about the first age. And I'm like, I just never went that deep. No, I didn't. Right? Like I know Lord of the Rings. I've read the Hobbit a few times, but I've, I've just never read some of the ridiculous backs backstory stuff in history of middle earth. Yeah. I haven't either. There's, there's a ton there though. Um, but, uh, they fight this giant dire wolf. Um, and, uh, I think uh, Parsville gets poisoned by him. H does too. H sacrifices herself to, to basically save Parsville. And then Parsville is about to get killed when all of a sudden, bam, here comes Artemis. Did they say she did a superhero landing when she came in? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, she was able to, uh, she knows the tricks. Got to put him to sleep. That's how it works. 
and uh, I put the put the wolf to sleep. They continue on. There's tons of orcs and and all sorts of demons and stuff. And the main big bad boss is like the the, the boss of Sauron. So you think Sauron was the big bad guy? No, this guy was worse than him. He's basically unkillable. Yeah, Sauron was just like a lieutenant. Yeah. So um, the the trick is to put him to sleep. So she's got to constantly put this spell on him, and they have to remove the shard, which is one of the uh, jewels from the, his crown while he's sleeping. But yeah. you can't get you can't get greedy. You can only take one. So Parzival does that, and they book it out of there. Um, using the eagles. Yeah, using, using the eagles. Um, and then they go back to GSS virtually, right? Yeah, he has a short flashback there, which I guess it's appropriate. It was from when um, Ogden revealed the, the mansion and the whole grounds that look like Rivendell. That's right, that's right. And then the, the, the one he got from the Prince one was her at a Prince concert. Or not at a Prince concert. There was like her birthday party and he hired Prince to to play at her birthday party. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, that's when they start to devise their plan. They, they, they know where, um, they know where Ogden is. Uh, he's at their, his old house. Um, and we go back to reality. It's like inception almost. Yeah. They, they are in a simulation controlling something in the outside world via a simulation. Um, and they basically do a raid on the house (laughs) using these little robots. Where Og's being held. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they find... Uh, Ogden is, uh, there. I think he's laying on a bed, right? Yep. And, uh, Sorrento's there holding a gun to him. But then, Halliday, or not Halliday, but, uh, um, Anorak, he's also there holding a gun to Sorrento via a robot. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, okay, what's going on here? So we got it, we got a standoff. And Sorrento basically comes out and says, Anorak promised me that he would shut down this entire simulation. Kill the Oasis. Because that's what he wanted. They, they had that, they had that in, I, I was, I was not, I was thinking that, that he would not stick to that little afterword, the little short story that he wrote that basically led to why Sorrento was acting the way he was. Yeah. Where, you know, his, his sister died because of Oasis addiction and, and he, all he wanted to do was win the contest so he could shut down the, the Oasis. Um, and he was, he, he was basically sticking to that. Like, you know, nope, I, I know what's happening here and you guys are going to ruin this. I want the Oasis shut down. And it's it's one of those like 
a lot happens in like a few split seconds, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Where uh, Anorak shoots and kills Sorrento and a chain reaction while he's falling to the ground. He pulls his trigger and shoots Ogden in the stomach. So Sorrento's dead. Uh, Ogden is now injured, gravely injured. And then they destroy the robot that Anorak was controlling. Um, they try to do uh, like emergency robot surgery on Ogden. And then it, it cuts to... away, right? You don't actually know at that point. Yeah, because they, they had to cut off the... So you're, you're seeing from Parzival's, you know, Wade's um, perspective. He has to cut it back off because, well, he's got things he's got to do too. Um. And uh, at that time, I think what Sorrento had already set up a lot of these like attack robots to come after them in the real world. Yeah. So they were chasing after, um, they were chasing after Samantha Artemis while they were in like a van, I think they were logged in, but now they're like, Oh, we got to get out of here because the robots are attacking us. <laughs> so they are they driving off. They... Yeah. They're driving off trying to get out of there. And they're like, okay, well, come to my house. Wade's like, come to my house. I, you, you guys will be safe there. And all these robots are chasing after him. And then they're, they're all going to like, they're closing in on the, on the van before they get to the house. And Parzival realizes, wait, I'm in a freaking walking spider tank right now. I can just use it. So he boots it up and, you know, he walks around in the real world in a spider tank. <laughs> <laughs> and, and destroys all the robots, brings them all into the house, and uh, they then they go on with the next part of their plan, which is um, they basically collect all the shards. Now, right, they go to where they need to to basically meet, and they're going to do an exchange. So, uh, at this point, I think what he's got like. 20 minutes left before the, the, yeah, the starting, coma sets starting in. to feel the effects of synaptic overload syndrome. Exactly. SOS. That's right. SOS. Um, and, uh, he, he's, he, uh, offers Anorak the shards here. Here's the shards, gives him the shards and, Come to find out, those okay. weren't the shards. Those were the fake shards. And he had programmed the fake shards, or he had the people at GSS program the fake shards, that whenever you offered them up to somebody's inventory, it would allow you free reign of their inventory. To take any so, one item in as yeah. payment, basically. Trade. Yeah. So he took the robes of Anorak back. Now he's the master. <laughs> he immediately teleports back to the one room that Anorak can't get into, which is the, 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 the study of Anorak in the castle. Yeah. There's just a key point right before that, right before that handoff in, in the trickery, which is that he does get the seventh shard. 
and when he touches that, he gets uh, a pretty important flashback, which is where Halliday had basically brought Kira and Og in to test out the prototype. That's right. And actually, that's when he made the brain scan yes. of Kira without telling her. Right. That's right. So he had had this prototype for years. We had thought he had made it maybe a couple of years before he died. No, he had it for years and didn't bother to tell anybody. He played it off as if it was like a, something that it would allow like paraplegics to use the Oasis and stuff like that. Um, but that was actually doing a brain scan of Kira, which means he had all of her memories. So Wade teleports away and outside the window, he can see Anorat really upset. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, okay, so what do I do? Uh, he's not going to release us. Um, I can push the big red button and end it all. And hopefully that will release us from our, you know, only headsets Everybody just wakes up in the real world. But that's not a guarantee. Yeah, that's a hope. <laughs> At this point, Anorak is now getting a little desperate. And he tells him, if you give me the shards, everybody will be fine. Even the people who have, quote, died. Even the people who have already went into their 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 dreamlike state. Everybody is okay. I've set it up that way as like a fail safe. I will release everybody if you give me the shards. And he's like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> he's like, release them and I'll give you the shards. And he's like, well, give me the shards and then I'll release them. Yeah. So it's it's another standoff. This time in the virtual world. Um, But then all of a sudden, somebody logs in. Ogden Morrow himself. Og the Great and Powerful. He logs in and he notices he's using a Oni headset. Um, and the reason why is because he is so so critically injured in the real world he couldn't use haptics to to operate. So he's logged in through an Oni for the first time ever. And he is there um to basically stop uh, Anorak from, from terrorizing everybody. Yeah, I like that simple, I don't know if you call it a cliche or not, but when Parzival says, you know, we need a duel and we'll, we'll decide it that way, and then Og shows up and he's like, well, I didn't say you were going to duel me. Yeah, I got a champion. And they have a big fight. They're throwing magic spells and and I imagine it is almost like a, a Dragon Ball Z esque fight where they're flying through the air, <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Um, it does feel like a lot of these big scenes in the last quarter of the book would translate well to a movie. You know, yes. I kind of feel like this whole book was, in some ways, maybe cynically set up for the movie, but I definitely think, the end of the book. I I definitely agree with you, and I definitely think that. Klein wrote this book with a movie in mind. Yep. Um, uh, Artemis shows up 
tries to help fight. Nope. Instantly killed. <laughs> um, uh, the lo-fi finally show up. They have what they've been searching for this whole time. The Nerd Slayer. I don't. I would like to know how they found that. I want to know what their quest was like. Yeah. Um, but uh, they had the the nerd slayer in hand. Uh, Ogden realizes what they have. He goes for it. All of the low five is murdered. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's kind of quick. It's one of those, you know, like the classic um, samurai movies where they're standing off and they they rush after each other and. One slices one who got who and Ogden cuts and cuts him in half, I think, right? Yep. With the nerd slayer and uh, Anorak is defeated and all the loot he was carrying just piles up in this giant loot pile. Which he's been hoarding for ages. <laughs> That's right. And I guess like as soon as he dies everybody's released yeah i think so was that like was they don't no, have to nothing else was the trigger i don't think so i think it was just that was it or it might not he was holding a button that would release i think right then he had like a blue button or something i can't remember mm, i know wade was you know standing by the big red button yeah I think there was another button that Anorak had. He's like, this is the button that'll release everybody. Um, and I think maybe Ogden pushes it. I'm not sure. But unfortunately, uh, Ogden uh, has this uh, error message pop up over his head, basically saying that they're in distress in the real world. And he doesn't make it. He succumbs to his, I guess, gunshot wound and passes away. Uh, Wade starts to feel the effects of SOS, passes out as well, but then wakes up, I think, a week later, a few days later, something like that. He's yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. And he's out of, he's out of the, he's out of the oasis. He's, he's back in the real world, uh, in the hospital. He checks in with everybody. H is okay. Shoto's okay. Artemis is okay. And, um, yeah, they, um, everybody seems to be fine. And I think Samantha gives Wade the message from Ogden, which says, leave it up to Kira, whether we should resurrect her or not. And if she says yes, resurrect me too. Yeah. So basically, um, they now, log now back he's got in. a brain scan. Yeah. So they log back into the Oasis. Um, they go in and take the real shards, combine them together at the shrine, and it resurrects Kira. And it is basically Kira from the day she had her brain scan. And Kira realizes, she's like, I know what happened. Because I was I was talked to by Halliday when he was alive. He kept me in secret. And he basically had me as his uh, 
personal Kira. Problem is, is that I am the same Kira that I was in the outside world, which means I'm still very much in love with Ogden. And, you know, she asked, she asked him, is Ogden still alive in the real world? And they said, unfortunately, he's not. And that's when she gives Parzival the, the, the wand, I guess, is it a wand or, or some kind of device. And this device allows you to select any person who's ever used the Oni headset to basically create a copy of them, a digital copy of them, the last time they logged into the Oasis. Yep, the Rod of Resurrection. There you go. And doing so would essentially, and they keep saying it, would basically create a another version another version of this person in the oasis a digital version of them where they would essentially live forever um so there's two things going through my mind while I'm reading this the first one being Wade is acting way too fast for this information. Yeah. Two, the other thing going through my head is this is a bad idea. This is a very bad idea. Given what Anorak just did or more generally? I think more generally, but definitely given what Anorak did. Um, I know, and Kira even explains it like... Yeah, Anorak was was a flawed version of Halliday um, because he removed some of the stuff, removed some of the memories from him, so he wasn't completely whole. It warped his sense of, I guess, right and wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I the whole time they're they're set talking about this. I'm saying no, no, don't do this. Which, Matt, you know me, everybody who listens to our show for a long time knows me. I am a very big detractor of letting technology get away with itself. If you remember when we played Binary Domain, I was a full believer in these are robots, kill them all. (laughs) I'm sorry, man. I've, I've seen it. Far too many times, not in the media and in TV shows, movies, books, whatever you name it, Battlestar Galactica, Cylons all over again. Don't do this. Do yeah. not do this. Yeah, I, I always come back to in this part the idea of upload because it's it's two very different scenarios for me. Like one, it's a little weird to create this copy without essentially asking permission because you're 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 kind of playing god. Yes. In in that that construct that AI ends up just being a thing to you even though it's a very realistic it's theoretically not going to act anything like the NPCs and it's got will and yada yada yada. So I, the, the two ways I see it are, are one, that's a very weird situation where you just create friends basically out of nothing. 
because they're presumably dead. Um, but then on the other hand, it's weird because I imagine if you're alive or near death and you might want to create a, a digital version of yourself, I don't know if there's any of the sort of continuity of consciousness. There's which, not. You're basically just making a clone of yourself. Yeah, there isn't any here, right? It always comes up when you talk about teleportation, right? Or, you know, is it is it actually you? I mean, every every day when you go to sleep and you wake up, you still feel like you, even though your consciousness just kind of snaps into existence again in the morning and you remember everything you did yesterday. So the construct, would I don't think, would have any problem with it. But you as a person get no benefit from the creation of a construct. Exactly. You, you're, so, still, you're still going to die one day. Yeah, so in that scenario, there's no benefit to the person being cloned, if you will. And in the other scenario where they're out of the equation and it's just somebody else making the AI, it's weird. So as much as I love the idea, like I don't see a scenario that's purely positive. There's not one, which is why you don't do this. <laughs> and like, this is like, so this part and then the last chapter that leads up to this. I'm just like, this is a bad episode of Black Mirror. In fact, they've already done this in Black Mirror. Like, like literally this is two different episodes of Black Mirror. I can't remember the name. I think like San Junipino, the episode where, you know, people who are dying can upload their consciousness to a, a server basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and live forever essentially. Um, and then there's the one episode, uh, I think it was called white Christmas where it was a uh, John, Ham John Hamm episode where he was basically, they're making a copy of a person to be a slave for the person that they're copied. Yeah. Like multiplicity. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's horrifying. It, it, it's not that that's not, maybe it's just me being a cynic. I don't know. So I, I guess in the scenario where you may have accidentally created a purely digital AI, I can understand in that scenario that that AI would like to have other AI friends to not age with and to live forever with. But uh, again, I don't see that anyone else gets any benefit from that. They they don't. They don't. The AI like the, itself does, but that's yeah. it. And I could see, so in the next chapter, so let's just explain it. So the last chapter is told, it, it, originally, like it starts off, and I, I, I give Klein credit. I did not know who was talking at the beginning of this chapter and he slowly goes into it and you realize, Oh, this is, this is who he, who, 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 you know, this is, this is something different talking. Yeah. Cause Wade has been the, 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 the narrator of this story. Then all of a sudden it starts talking in the third person. Wade did this. And then after that, Wade did that. So Wade, Wade, um, got married, um, expecting a child soon with Samantha, uh, Shoto had his child. Um, H got married. 
Um, so it, it's basically talking like in the, the, the past couple of years, essentially what happened. Um, and what they decided to do, if everybody remembers, they had their little spaceship out, out there floating around that they were going to send to Alpha Centauri, um, as in like an escape plan if need be. They have decided to duplicate every person that's ever scanned in the Oasis. Was it? I didn't think it was every single person. I thought it was everybody, um, but they have them in like stasis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And only a certain pe- certain few people like Parzival's copy and Kira's copy and Ogden's copy and all of them are are including Artemis. Artemis decided she was going to get her brain scan so she could do this copy. They're walking around the o like 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 a a the small oasis the the small like centralized oasis that they created for the spaceship. Yeah, and it's now currently floating through space, going toward Alpha Centauri, so that they can possibly find a habitable planet to start a new human race, and it's going to take like. Hundreds of years to get there, but since they're all digitized, they yep, live they're, forever. They're not eating. They're not eating. They're not drinking. And the, and it's basically the the AI version of Parsville talking about this, um, and saying that ah, I don't really mind it. We get to live forever, and we're we're going off. We're seeing space, and it's not too bad. And I'm like, talk to me in about fifty years. <laughs> Tell me well, what you're feeling about fifty years. Didn't they say they were going to handle that by by kind of randomizing who they awaken, so that they've always got new people to talk to and new? Yeah, but <sighs> sure. I mean, in the context of this, basically, they left all the humans. So there are embryos. Apparently, there are human embryos on the spaceship um, that are frozen that they can then and create children how will they live I don't know um that is that is a story for another time apparently yeah I mean it's a valid argument in the context of you know what we just said because here's a clear benefit for humanity if not the individual people that were left behind at least humanity as a whole because you've got proper sentient caretakers who could maintain the ship and the fetuses essentially indefinitely until they find a habitable planet. And then, you know, as Elon Musk likes to say, we want to be a multi-planet species in case there's a giant meteor or some other catastrophic event. So, you know, I guess here you'd call it almost a unmitigated positive for humanity, right? Because if these, if they're going so far away, they never need to have any contact with the humans on earth again. So there's no detriment to the people on earth and there's only the benefit to humanity. So I guess that, you know, it's, it's still interesting to me because from the, 
AI's perspective, they have lived the, the full life. You know, he's got yeah. all of Wade's previous memories. Yeah. And he even mentions I'm now making my own life, my own memories and stuff. Yeah. Separate from Wade. And that's basically how the book ends. And I was like, what those last two chapters, what the hell did I just read? Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. And it also, by being so extreme, almost makes the Oasis seem simple to get there. Because if, if you remember, like, I think it was the first recording, I kind of had a little bit of a problem that they leapt from everybody being in a VR program, which to be fair, isn't unre- unreasonably unrealistic. Sure. But to go from there to, well, we've automatically now scanned people's brains and can fully recreate people as AIs, I'm like, wait a damn minute. That has <laughs> nothing to do with VR. I mean, sure. Or, or f- having manufactured a spaceship to fly to the Andromeda system. Well, yeah. I mean, if that didn't already feel shoehorned in at that point, now it's like, oh, now I see why it was shoehorned in. Yeah. Um, like, but, you know, it I... It doesn't matter I, how much money you have. You can throw money at the wall. It's not going to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's some unrealistic advances that I get that this is the future, but it, it seems like you didn't have a clear evolution to get from book one to book two. It just seems like this is so far afield of what the Oasis is. Yeah. And it, you know, in some ways it makes the Oasis seem safe, right? Because if you didn't have the brain scanning ability and everyone's basically just playing this game as in the first book, it, you know, it's got detriment, right? People can become addicted to it. You know, it, it, it could, whatever people say as the negatives of screen time and, and digitalization of life, right? People could be depressed, all that, but those are almost known quantities. When you start talking about rogue AIs, you know, of the creator, you know, it starts to get almost unbelievable at that point. Whereas a lot of the, the book one in some ways felt a lot more grounded because you're dealing with family issues and kind of poverty issues as well. Yeah. This has a corporate espionage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I I thought about that ending for about 20 minutes and then said, eh. And then I haven't thought about <laughs> this book since. <laughs> I mean, that, to be fair, that book's, this book ends where a lot of movies start. Yeah. You know, with a ship hurtling through space. So, so the question now is, will there be a Ready Player 3? I mean, I don't see why not. <laughs> What's it going to be about? Is it going to be about them colonizing a planet? <laughs> or is it <laughs> going to be about, you know, Wade back on Earth, now a father? <laughs> or both. Or both. I don't know. Are aliens coming now? We're going to have to use virtual headsets to fight aliens. Just merge it into Artemis. <laughs> I guess. Well, we have three emails. We'll, we'll read out these emails and see how we feel, and we'll do our final thoughts afterwards. 
That sounds good. First email comes in from Dustin. It says, Hey Gunters, what a cringy name to call your group. I didn't know anything could be worse than Justin Bieber fans calling themselves Bieber's, but this, (laughs) I think, has it beat. Having Bieber fever? Yeah. I liked the first book. I hated this book. (laughs) (laughs) His writing style is like Coca-Cola. At first, it's bubbly and fun like the first book, but then... When left out overnight, it just tastes flat and isn't good, similar to the plot of this book. Hey guys, I have a great idea for the sequel to my book. I'll just write the same story, but I'll use a different perspective. We'll even have another egg hunt. It's like Harry Potter's Horcruxes, but a lot lazier and worse. (laughs) This idea is the same vibe as Axl Rose bringing back Guns N' Roses for Chinese democracy. (laughs) Trying to do the same thing when you should have evolved. So also, instead of branching out into the 90s for my references, I'll just double down on the 80s. I listened to the audiobook of this back in August. So just like Kime from Lost Odyssey, I don't remember everything. <laughs> but some <laughs> things I did not jot down. But some things I did jot down. Mainly from the beginning of the book. Um, Crap, I lost my place, sorry. Maybe from the... Uh, uh, mainly from the beginning of the book, and I might be misremembering some details. There was some point when where he had Halliday's proto of, or, or uh, sorry, I guess prototype of the Oni VR set, and there were sex files, but he was just gonna, uh, but he w- was gonna look at them. Yeah, right. This is the same dude. He wasn't gonna look at them. Yeah, right, this is the same dude who ordered a sex doll robot, similar to Futurama in the first book. He's definitely looking at those. I would think after discovering you can feel things in the Oni, you would drink a health or mana potion from Final Fantasy right away just to see what it tastes like. (laughs) (laughs) He had a line where the Oni wouldn't be addicting. Yeah, freaking right. The VR would have more power, more people addicted to it than the Nectar did in Haze. When they were listing games of Sevens, uh, trying to figure out clues to the Sevens uh, Siren Shards, I was surprised they didn't list the Seventh Saga. It's not a Seventh in the series, but it has the right in the name. Has it right in the name? Anyway, that's all I wrote down. Similar to what to when I was hate playing twelve minutes to the end, I ended up hating listen, hate listening to the rest of the audiobook and rolled my eyes so hard I think I pulled my pupil. There wasn't there weren't any good character arcs. The references wore out after the first chapter and the story was a jumbled mess. Shit, I forgot to reference something in the last two sentences. Uh um Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. See you next game, Dustin. P.S. The best John Hughes movie is Home Alone. Okay, so technically Home Alone is not a John Hughes movie. It was written by and produced by him, but it was actually directed by Christopher Columbus. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, John Hughes adjacent. Yes. All right. Next email comes in from chad it's uh, titled virtual heaven 
Howdy, crew. I finally got caught up to you all and finished the book last Tuesday. All in all, I think the book is fine. I don't think it is as fun as the first one, but it isn't bad either. It feels like the book equivalent to a Michael Bay movie. Plenty of explosions and special effects with very little substance. Although I thought some elements uh, for a couple of the quests were interesting, particularly the John Hughes and Prince-related ones, they seemed to be seemed to drone on for way too long and got buried in boring minutia. Excuse me. I guess minutia is that how you spell? Uh, how do you spell that? M I N U T I A E. Yep. Yep. It's okay. A strange spelling word. <laughs> yes, it is. By the time I got to the final quest regarding the first age of Middle-earth, I was pretty much checked out and just wanted to see how the story ends, which brings me to my final impression. I was conflicted with the way the story ends. So they make digital copies of themselves and everyone who ever used an Oni headset. Although their second selves are essentially all digital, cognizant of their digital-only existence, and sentient, all other Oni user digital copies... Uh, I think they said billions of people are held in, uh, I guess, stasis. I don't know. Absence? A- abience? Man, you're using some big words that this redneck <laughs> cannot read. Um, basically, uh, they are digital limbo until God, I mean Wade, decides it's right time to awaken them into their new immortal lives. They talk about how great a gift this is to humanity, but they seem way too hasty in their decision to me. Me too. I feel the exact same way. On one hand, I feel like this could be potentially cruel to the digital copies. They are essentially immortal and can do whatever they want in their own private oasis. They are basically gods at this point and a heaven of their own creation. This got me thinking of my 10-year-old son. He has no idea how privileged he is. He has a room filled with to the brim with toys, lives in a huge house with his own theater and pool, has thousands upon thousands of games and movies, can jump on his bike or scooter and basically go wherever he wants in our quiet little neighborhood in the suburbs. But he walks around the house on the weekend, moping that he is bored. I've lost count how many times I've told him that I didn't have anywhere near the amount of things or opportunities he does when I was his age. My point is, they have robbed the digital copies of themselves of one thing that makes life worth living. Fear. They are immortal and have any, and have anything they could ever want. There's no struggle. This could drive anyone insane over time. Did anybody else have the hair on the back of their neck stand up when Lycosia... I still never knew how to pronounce that, that name. Kira's person. Yeah. Uh, Kira's digital person told Wade not to worry about her going crazy like the digital version of Halliday. Go ahead, Wade. Trust the AI creation when it says <laughs> that you can trust it and that you have nothing to worry about. That's my precisely my point. They, it, it, this yep. is this is literally Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah, and you know the thing I love is that I would have loved Wade to reflect here about how he's already abused power. That was the whole beginning of the book to me. Yeah, he 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 misused it, and he was aware that he misused it, and now he's in a position to make such a an important decision for humanity. It would have been great if he reflected on that and said, "I I'm not the one that should make this decision." 
Exactly. The other part of this that made my hair stand up on the back of my neck is when I realized my criticisms of their di little digital heaven essentially holds true with how people typically view heaven in general. We go to a place after we die where we live our, with our family and friends for eternity and no one ever gets sick, etc., etc. Where's the fear? Where's the struggle? Where's the challenge that makes anything worth having? What do you actually earn in this second existence? Oh man, now you're getting deep. <laughs> the three, oh man, here we go again. The three Venices schools. V-I-E-N-N-E-S-E. -E. The three Venice schools of psych, uh, psychoanalytic theory were founded by Sigmund Freud, Alfred Adler, and Viktor Frankl. All three essentially had the same theory for human motivation, but differed on what the actual primary motivation is. Freud believed sex was the primary motivator for humans. Adler believed it was man's sense of belonging, and Frankel believed it was man's search for meaning. I essentially that was actually a really good book, Man's Search for Meaning. Is that is that wrote by Frankel? Yep. Okay. This is about his time in reflecting on uh, being in a. Holocaust survivor. Ah. I essentially agree with their overarching uh, psychoanalytic theory, but I believe humans' primary motivator is fear. Going all the way back to the caveman days, every action, choice, or reaction is based on fear. I think Shakespeare summarized this best in Julius Caesar when he wrote, A coward dies a thousand times before his death, but a valiant taste of death but once... It seems to me the most strange that men should fear, seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. As I said, I'm conflicted on how he chose to end this book, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Also, I think he may have set this series up for two more possible books. The first one could be Ready Player Side Quest, where he details the adventures of the Low Five. Hey! And their quest for the Dork Slayer. Dork Slayer. I said geek, uh, Nerd Slayer. Dork Slayer. I hate that name. The other book could be a direct sequel, however, many years later, detailing the recolonization of the human race based on the continued existence of the Oni and the embryos that they have on board the Vognut. Vognut. Yeah, like Kurt Vonnegut. There you go. It would certainly provide the opportunity to, again, reflect on what it means to be person, you know, a, a human or sentient or to have free will, right? These, these AI copies will have spent thousands of years in their trapped in their playground, if you will, yep. and then have the opportunity to guide the humans. So in, in some ways, almost like a reverse, instead of the humans creating the AIs, the AIs can help create the humans. Mm -hmm. And so there could be some interesting parallels and some interesting um, reflections there. But to be brutally honest, I just don't think Ernest Klein's the one that could tell that story in a impactful I don't way. Think, I don't think Ernest Klein is clever enough to write that story. Am I being mean? It's not like Ernest Klein is going to listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and if he is, I didn't hate the book. I, just I mean, I, didn't yeah. like it as much as the first one. Yeah, and 
feel like every opportunity for real self-reflection was avoided. This is true. Sorry for the novel. I just had a lot of thoughts on this one. Till next time, Chad. Yeah, those are some, some good thoughts. Yep. And I believe it was Viennese, like from Vienna. Ah, yes, okay. Gotcha. And our final email. Blast from the past coming in. It's titled Return of the Jedi. Uh, Jamie. <laughs> coming in from Jamie. With a nice, uh, nice bookshelf. Yeah, right. Surprise. I don't know why I said that like, uh, Christopher Walken. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> I've kind of been away from Twitter and gaming for a bit just because I was distracted by other things, mostly reading. I ended up reading 107 books last year. Whoa. Yeah, no kidding, right? Early in the pandemic was the most I've ever read, and that was 55 books. Wow. Definitely not read more than that in a single year before. Aside from when I was in school, like grade school, Last year was the most books I've read, and that was four. <laughs> uh, worst 90% of them smut? Look, let's not get into details. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, imagine my delight when I found out you were reading a book instead of playing a game. A book not only have I not read yet, but have a copy on my shelf. So let's get into it. Full disclosure, this is my second iteration of this email. When I read through the old one, I just couldn't send it. It was far too negative, and that's just not who I am, but maybe that will give you the first indication of how I my feelings on the book. First off, <clears throat> I'm going to have to disagree with Matt about Samantha. I didn't see her as petulant at all. Uh, I saw her as a person who had struggled to get through this contest gets money she knows is going to help her help people. And then the boy she fell for has more interest in literally plugging people into the matrix and building escape ships than helping the world. Worse, he thinks that he is helping the world and takes all kinds of really hurtful jabs at her about how her parents wouldn't have died and how her grandmother liked the technology. Not healthy relationship goals. I get it. He's 21, but come on. Pro tip, if you get the girl of your dreams, maybe don't be a douche canoe. <laughs> Fair. So, we can all agree Wade is a bit of an asshole. I hated him so much I almost didn't care to continue into the, third, uh, the first third of this book. I couldn't believe he and the other so-called pop culture fans could be so naive to think creating what basically equates to the Matrix was a good idea. I mean, okay, I get it. The world sucks, and they need somewhere to be happy. Cypher had it right in the Matrix, though. Given the choice, I think most people would have wanted to shove that red pill up their asses, too. Give people the ability to eat whatever they want, not gain weight, take all the drugs and alcohol, sleep with whoever they want, and pretty much live anyone else's life. Of course, they are going to kill themselves with it. Hook me up, baby. Vanilla sky me. Gosh, this is my positive email. <laughs> Anyways, my biggest issue and what made me almost stop reading is how quickly Samantha goes from hating Wade to gazing at him lovingly while hundreds, with hundreds of thousands of people have hours to live. 
Wade has one panic attack, and suddenly all the bullshit he's pulled over the last three years is forgiven. I wanted to take her aside and say, Bestie, don't even think about it. (laughs) (laughs) We need to have a talk. Yeah. That had, that had all my friend alarms going off, ready to talk her down from the boyfriend ledge. But the most annoying part was that they were on the clock, and here they are, reconnecting at the worst possible time. I get that Klein wanted to write another treasure hunt kind of story, and upping the stakes is important. But the entire time I was reading, I was screaming at them. Are you honestly complaining about not being able to get a Ferrari to get to the next part of the puzzle? Did you forget that there is a timer ticking on people's lives? And that's the theme. It's supposed to be a super fun Easter egg hunt, but it can't be fun when the stakes are that high. Samantha knew that in the beginning, but somehow forgot it. Wade must be drop-dead gorgeous. Sheesh. My second issue is the pacing. Look, I love Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller. I could probably act all those out without a script. I knew exactly who they were talking about when Andy was in the next clue. But that pretty and pink challenge was the most aggravating part of this book. The details were unnecessary. They could have just popped into Hughes' place and found the script in the cabinet. They really didn't need to go into every little detail. I don't care about John Hughes' children or how he used to use the same school for all his movies or how most of his movies took place in the same town. It's irrelevant to the plot and just sort of feels like someone bragging about how much they know. Oh my God, I don't care. (laughs) Honestly, with how many unimportant pieces of pop culture that were thrown in here, it just felt like your grandpa trying to tell a story and getting distracted by every single thing. Focus, Wade. People are dying. On the positive side. My favorite reference or part of this book was the Prince section. My mom is a huge Prince fan, so I grew up with his music on all the time. I saw him in concert twice, and they were probably two of the best concerts I ever saw. So I actually had a fun time reading that bit. I totally would have made them go in through the outdoor uh, when they got the Raspberry Beret. I guess it's a good thing they didn't also need to go out to the barn. But yeah, so that was an entire day for me, listening to Prince on Spotify, which I found kind of blasphemous. Definitely would have been uh, lightning strike worthy. (laughs) (laughs) I knew everyone on The Seven Princes and the uh, songs and references, and surprisingly, this part didn't drag much, though I will admit to skim reading the battle. I didn't start... Or go ahead. I was just going to say the battles in this book feel a little bit like superhero battles in the movie where I, I, I zone out a little bit because it you know it just kind of feels like A punches B, B goes flying through a wall, then yeah. comes shooting out of the wall and hits A, and then A gets driven into the ground. And, you know, it's just this back and forth, like, walloping each other and, you know, nothing really means anything until whatever the last hit is. Yeah, it's just uh, all the Marvel movies are the the General Zod fight from Man of Steel kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't start enjoying this book till around the Prince section and then moving on to the Lord of the Rings parts. Maybe it's a me thing. I just love fantasy more than anything. 
I've never read the uh, Similarian, um, but I still felt more at home in that section of the book. Plus, it was way more streamlined and flowed a lot better since Wade didn't go into some long, drawn-out description of how many iterations of Lord of the Rings editions and pointless added information about Tolkien. It finally felt like pacing figured itself out. Okay, so did I use the word enjoy in the previous paragraph? Did I enjoy this book? Not really. During some parts, I was merely tolerating it. I even had to had to read a different book at the same time so I could switch when I got too angry. <laughs> but the last third I liked the best, so I guess that was a partial recovery. I give it two shards out of five. Not really sure how I felt about the ending. It was fine, I guess. Definitely liked the first book better. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. I For me, the beginning was the worst part of this book. I just didn't yeah. like any of the characters. I didn't buy their role in the world. Just none of it I liked. Yeah. And yeah. then I I did like it better once they were on their quests because at least you get those little those little hits of recognition if nothing else. Right. Thought we were done. Think again. I wonder uh if this was is my longest email. Okay. So in terms of the 4 S's theme this year. As soon as I heard your theme, I was excited and had two games come to mind right away. Dustin suggested one and Chad mentioned the other. I own and have wanted to play Metal Gear Rising Revengeance since yeah, we played through nice. the Metal Gear games. <laughs> I also already own Finding Paradise. I'd be Perfect. happy to play. I'd, I'd be happy to play along with both of those if timing works out. I've been playing Horizon Fit Forbidden West, but same as Matt, I haven't finished it. I find it to be overwhelming and frustrating, so I only play it in short bursts. I have a lovely plastic-wrapped copy of God of War Ragnarok sitting impatiently on my desk as well, so I'd attempt to play along with you guys if you played either of those. Games I have zero interest in playing are Nino Kuni 2 and Shinmu 2. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, this should come to no surprise since I didn't finish either of those when you played the first ones. Final Fantasy Fifteen. I think we've gone through this offline. Don't come at me, Dustin. But I really didn't enjoy this game. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think, but I won't be playing it again. Red Dead Redemption 2. I remember kind of liking this when we played, but I honestly had more fun writing the email for the podcast than playing the game. So that's probably an indication of where I am with wanting to play the sequel. I'm on the fence with Final Fantasy Remake. I've played some of it, and I did get a lot of enjoyment out of it, but for some reason I didn't keep playing. I think it's because without the classic turn-based roleplay, it doesn't feel right to me. I don't know why so many games have to be so action-oriented these days. The only game I could think of which kept really true uh, to that format in recent years is Persona 5. Even though I still hate the, all the slow parts of that series, the battle system stayed the same, and I loved it. I still felt like an old school battle still felt like an old school battle mechanic whereas remake remake is a lot like the battle gameplay in Final Fantasy 15. Maybe I'm just too old and stuck in my ways. Lastly, I have played Near Automata. I knew nothing about the game going in and after playing through it once, I still know nothing about that game. So I'd be interested in playing through it properly like you're supposed to. I guess I technically didn't play it enough 
through the multiple times that you're meant to. Okay, whew, done. Hope to play along with some games this year. Thanks to Dustin for giving me a heads up on the theme and the book. Happy gaming and reading, Jamie. Well, welcome back, Jamie. And thank you all for those awesome emails. It's always good to know you're getting some feedback. Yeah, absolutely. And some different views, but I feel like nobody was overly positive on this book. Yeah, it didn't seem like it. I I, I think in, in the end, I didn't mind it. If anything, it kept my attention throughout. I never stopped reading. I never, I never it fell off or anything like that. Never really got bored. I mean, yeah. it, I'll give it this. It was at least a page turner for me, even if some of it was kind of groan worthy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty similar. Um, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed my, my time with it for the most part. Was there some baffling choices in there? Sure. Yeah. And, and, and despite, Despite all this, I would probably still read the third one. Yeah, just, just I mean, to I see would what too. happens. I would too. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of invested in this now. Yeah, I've 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 read the first book. I've seen the movie twice, and I've read the second book now. Will these two books ever be books that I go back and reread? Probably not. I can't seem to read enough books to like get ahead of the books that I buy. So. True. Uh, Jamie probably doesn't have that problem reading a hundred books a year. Yeah, that's depends how many you're buying each year, but that's a lot of books. That's a pretty but, good pace. Uh, I, uh, I I still kind of want to make a conscious decision to continue reading. Um, so I'm I'm thinking of probably starting Mistborn. I haven't started it just yet. Ah. Um. So we'll see. Um. And Jamie, if you are interested. And you're looking for a turn-based role-playing game. By God, the next game we're playing is a turn-based role-playing game. Yakuza Like a Dragon. Which is basically Yakuza 7. um, Is a good jumping-on point. Because it has nothing to do with the previous seven games that we've played. And it is a turn-based RPG. Set in modern day. And you play as a gangster. So, could enjoy it if you want to give it a shot. It's on Game Pass. If you have Game Pass, absolutely free to play. And I guess that was a nice segue. Our next game is Yakuza Like a Dragon. <laughs> Which still, like, that phrase of, yeah, it's Yakuza, but it's a turn-based RPG. I'm like, my, my brain doesn't really know how to compute that yet. So, I have to say this. I've played probably, like I said, i played probably about, about two hours of it. So far, the battle system in this game is really freaking cool. Mm. It is. It's so. It, it's got. It's got elements of like the 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 Mario and Luigi games, where like you know you you have the time. You know when you want to defend, you have the time button presses. Yeah. Or if you want to do an extra damage, you can like mash on a button during a special attack. But there's also really cool parts to this game where like so they've taken battle animations. So like, you know, you know, like in, in final fantasy, there's always, they're always like, you know, standing there kind of bobbing up and down, weaving and stuff like that. In this game that actually plays to the advantage. You have to watch your characters and watch the enemy. So like, you know, in Yakuza, you could pick up a trash can and smash over a guy's head. If you watch Ichi 
and as he's doing his little like you know battle animations walking around the battlefield if you choose attack and he's close to a trash can he will then grab it and pick it up and do extra damage <laughs> so you have to watch the positioning because you don't actually move your characters during battles you have to watch how they move around and then choose like it's kind of like active time battles yeah. you know what I mean yeah so I think this this system is really really cool um, I, I, I'm looking forward to jumping into it deeper. Um, I, I do hear that there is some grinding involved in this game. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure when or where, uh, I know that both Ken and Jay kind of warned me that there's a part in this game that can get that the difficulty spikes up and you have to do some grinding. So, and there's also a job system in this game, like Final Fantasy, where you can, you can change jobs and they even like change their outfits and stuff. So more like an RPG than just the battle system. Correct. This is yeah, straight up cool. a role playing game. You change jobs, you have to level up your jobs. Um, you learn new skills based on the job that you have equipped. Uh, I know one of the jobs is break dancer and Ichi is like dressed up like a break dancer. <laughs> I, I'm really excited to play this game. It looks goofy as hell. Did you, did, have you at least heard why the game is turn-based? Uh, I heard that he really likes Dragon Quest. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole reason. Because <laughs> the battles take place in Ichi's mind, and he's just like, yeah, because in Dragon Quest, you have to take turns during battle. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to play this game. Anyway, um, that's that's going to be it for us. Uh, that's that's the end of Ready Player Two. I, like I said, didn't mind it. I think it was fine. Um, it kept me interested throughout. I'll put it that way. And for and for like the last probably two chapters and twenty minutes after finishing the book, I did think about it and say, mm, "That this all sounds like a bunch of mistakes," <laughs> and then stop thinking about it. So there you go. I guess I'll watch the movie when it comes out. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Any final thoughts for you, Matt? No, I think that's about it. I I would love for a third book to be everything I wanted the first two to be. So, uh, you know, I'll chase that dream. But, you know, I, I think like we, like we said, I for me it was mostly the characterization that was a little bit of a letdown. I wanted to see more self-reflection. I wanted yeah. more actual like heart to hearts and discussions with all you know with all those lives in the balance. I don't know. Yeah. It was yeah. okay. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, that's the best way I can describe it too. But yeah, that's gonna be it for us. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you'd like to uh send an email, it is Drew at ZTGD dot com. Um Definitely get those emails in. I know there's going to be a couple of people playing like a dragon with us. Um, let us know how you feel about it. Um, you can also tweet to us. I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. But that is going to be it for us. We're going to get out of here. Until next time, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. And we're gone. 
You guys have a great week, and we'll be back next week with the beginning of Yakuza Like a Dragon.